Well, let us worship God. Let us sing to his praise from Psalm 34 in Sing Psalms. It's on page number 40 of the Blue Psalm book. Verses 1 to 10, Psalm 34. At all times I will bless the Lord. I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord, let troubled souls rejoice. Together let us praise the Lord, exalt his name with me. I sought the Lord, his answer came. From fear he set me free. They look to him and shine with joy. They are not put to shame. This suffering man cried to the Lord. From him deliverance came. The angel of the Lord surrounds and guards continually. All those who fear and honour him, he sets his people free. Come, taste and see, the Lord is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. With need you will not be oppressed. Young lions may grow weak and faint and hunger for their food, but those who wait upon the Lord will not lack any good. These stanzas of Psalm 34 from Sing Psalms to God's praise at all times, I will bless the Lord. At all times I will bless the Lord. Together let us pray. 
heads in prayer. Let us call on the Lord's name in prayer. Lord, we thank you this evening for this wonderful privilege that is ours in being able to gather in this way in the courts of your house. Give us to rejoice as the psalmist of old expressed his voice of thanksgiving when he said, I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said to me, Jerusalem within thy gates, thou feet shall standing be. And we find that in this particular psalm we have just been singing that God has so filled the psalmist's heart that he says, at all times I will bless the Lord. I'll praise him with my voice. And give us this evening to be like the psalmist of old, to bless the Lord, to honour you in our minds and to honour you in our actions and to seek to magnify your great name. Uh, You are deserving of all our adoration and praise and give us this evening unitedly uh, to praise the Lord with all of our hearts. We thank you also, Lord, that the psalmist was able to look back upon his life and uh, to relate to us that he sought the Lord and that he answered him. And we praise you that that is still the case with your people who seek you earnestly and in truth, that they will find you. The Lord Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, directed them to ask, and it would be given to them. Seek, and they would find, to knock, and that the door be opened unto them. So may we also, Lord, be able to call upon your name in truth this evening, in the secrecy of our hearts, or audibly, We thank you that you're able to hear the prayers of your people and answer them even beyond their askings and expectations. We thank you this evening for the word of God which we have in our possession, the infallible and inerrant scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. And we thank you that this is the rule you have given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy you. And give us to have our ears opened to what the word of God says. And give us to have our eyes opened to behold the glory of the Lord as he is revealed in the scriptures. The entrance of your words gives light. And may it be so with us this evening as we gather around your word and as we seek to worship you. May we not be left in darkness. And that's the way we are by nature. Sin has benighted us and darkened us in our affections and in our thinking. But without uh, your own intervention by grace, we would remain in that darkened and hopeless situation. But we thank you, Lord, that when you speak, you say, let there be light. And you said that at the beginning of creation, 
And you say it still in the experience of your people when you command the light to shine out of darkness in their experience and that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May that be true with each one of us here this evening. We thank you for this congregation. We pray for your blessing upon them. Every individual gathered here this evening and every home represented, every situation and circumstance, all are known to you. And we pray that you would bless those who are in particular need, those who may be asking questions and who cannot find answers. We ask, Lord, that you would answer their questions. Those who are in darkness seeking light, that you would command light to shine, scattering their darkness. Those who are weak and heavy laden, we ask that you would come and lighten their burden with a word of encouragement and by the hand of your Holy Spirit upon them. Remember the preaching of the gospel in this congregation and all of our congregations. We thank you that the word of God goes forth and we pray that the Spirit will accompany it and as it goes forth into the minds and hearts of our people that will bear much fruit even unto holiness and the end everlasting life. We pray for the minister of this congregation that you would bless him in every aspect of his work in the congregation and bless all the ministers of grace throughout our presbytery, throughout our land and to the ends of the earth. May the power of the gospel be known and may the darkness be dispelled and may a time of renewal and refreshing and revival come into our midst as a people. Lord, remember our own nation, a nation that has to a great extent turned its back upon the Lord, upon God's word. We ask, Lord, that you would have mercy upon us. Forgive us this great sin of ours and come back to us, we ask, building up again the walls that are broken down and building up your church among us as a people. We pray for your blessing to be upon those who are ill, laid aside during these days. We ask that you would heal them. Remember those who have had bad news uh, over past days and weeks. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless them. And those who have uh, bereavements and heartbreaks of various kinds, we ask that you would remember them in love and strengthen them in the face of all adversity. We pray for your blessing to be upon us as a community during these days coming uh, with um, the local uh, government elections. We ask that people would uh, vote wisely and that uh, your own name would be honoured in everything that is to be done in relation uh, to local government and national government. That people would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all other things will then be added unto them. We pray for your blessing upon these parts of the world where there is turmoil and strife and where there is war and where there is bloodshed, O oh Lord, we pray that you would graciously intervene in these situations and that the power of evil would be broken and that righteousness with peace would be established. We pray for your blessing now to be upon us, each one according to our needs. Lead us and guide us as we read your word and as we meditate upon it and as we sing your praise together and forgive every sin, we pray. 
In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. We'll now read together from the Old Testament Scriptures and the book of Deuteronomy and at chapter 8. Deuteronomy and chapter 8. I'm reading at the beginning. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you, to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish 
because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his holy word and to his name be all the praise. Let us further praise his name this time from Psalm 31 in Sing Psalms. Psalm 31 and verses 1 to 8. In you I have taken refuge, Lord. You are my shelter in distress. Oh, let me never be ashamed, but save me in your righteousness. Lord, turn your ear to hear my cry. Come quickly to deliver me. Be my rock and firm defense, my stronghold and security. You are my fortress and my rock. For your name's sake, be my sure guide. Preserve me from the trap that's set. You are the refuge where I hide. Redeem me, Lord, O God of truth. My spirit I commit to you. I hate all those who trust false gods. I trust the Lord, for he is true. I will rejoice and take delight in all the love that you have shown. For my affliction you have seen. To you my soul's distress is known. You have not left me to my foe or given me into his hand, but you have set my feet within a spacious place where I may stand. These stanzas of Psalm 31 from Sing Psalms, verses 1 to 8, in you I've taken refuge, Lord. In you I've taken
as the Lord enables us, let us turn to the Song of Solomon and chapter 8. Song of Solomon and chapter 8 and reading at verse 5. This question, who is that? coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved. Song of Solomon on chapter 8 and the first part of verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, where we read together, we have brought before us there a summary, I suppose, one could say, of the wilderness experiences of the children of Israel during the days of Moses. And many years after that, Solomon was moved by the Lord to write this particular song, the Song of Solomon. Among others, he wrote this song, which is the Song of Songs, as it says at the beginning. In other words, it must be the number one song that Solomon wrote. He wrote 1,005 songs, and he wrote 3,000 proverbs. But this seems to be the number one song that he wrote under the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a song of love. The word love is used 26 times throughout this fairly short book of the Song of Solomon. And there are expressions of love made between a man and a woman. In chapter 4, for example, at verse 1, he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. And in chapter 5, verse 16, she says that he is altogether lovely. And between these the two kind of statements, there are expressions of love given throughout the whole of the Song of Solomon. Now, the Song of Solomon has been variously described, uh, but uh, as far as we can understand it from a scriptural and a spiritual point of view, it is an allegory that brings before us the love between Christ and the believer, Christ and his people. So when we go back to verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Christ is saying of his people, they are beautiful. And then in chapter 5, 16, she says, You are altogether lovely. 
They were altogether lovely. And in the middle of all of these expressions of love, we find this question asked in chapter 8 at verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Although there is this marvelous love relationship between the believer and his or her Lord, there is also a wilderness experience that is mentioned in this verse. What does that mean, a wilderness experience? Well, when John Bunyan starts writing his marvelous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he speaks about him walking in the wilderness of this world. And by that he describes this fallen world in which we live, a world that has nothing spiritually beneficial for us. It is a world where sin dominates. It is a world that has so many hindrances to those traveling to the celestial city. It is a world that's got darkness and animosity and unspirituality and godlessness. And the question is asked against that background, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And just listen like to say two or three things under three headings. As this verse, I believe, speaks of the believer, the Church of Christ, coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon the arm of Christ, leaning upon her beloved. First point is the Church, her location. She's in the wilderness. Secondly, her heading. In other words, what direction is she traveling? And it says here that she is coming up from the wilderness. And thirdly, her posture as she travels up out of this wilderness. It says that she is leaning upon her beloved. Just three, three things. Her location, her direction of travel, and her posture. Her location. Solomon says that she is coming up from the wilderness. That's where she is. She is in the wilderness. When you go back to the book of Exodus, you find that when the Lord took his people out of the land of Egypt with all the tyranny and slavery they experienced there, he led them into the wilderness. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness before they actually reached the land of Canaan that was flowing with milk and honey. 
but the churches in the wilderness. And what is the reason for that? Why has the Lord taken her into the wilderness? Well, it says in the prophecy of Hosea, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. And here we have the church in the wilderness because the Lord has taken her there. Why? Well, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see that there are reasons mentioned in that particular chapter for which the Lord brought the church into the wilderness. See, for example, at chapter 8 and verse 2, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna and so on. The Lord brought the church into the wilderness that he might humble her, that she might not be self-sufficient, that she might not be focusing upon herself and feel that she is able to make her own way in her own strength. No, she was in some respects totally impoverished in the wilderness. She was taken to realize that she was totally dependent upon the Lord for everything. And those of us who have come to realize that, we have understood a real lesson about ourselves. We have nothing to commend us. We have no resources of our own to make our way through this wilderness into the heavenly Canaan. We are totally dependent upon the Lord himself. They were dependent on him for the manna that they had to go and collect every day, apart from the Sabbath day. They were dependent upon him for the water from the rock. And Moses had been commanded <clears throat> to strike the rock, and the water gushed forth. They were dependent upon the Lord for directing them because he gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they were only allowed to move when the pillar of cloud moved and stopped when the pillar of cloud stopped. They were humbled into servanthood and commit themselves to the Lord who was able to do all things for them. And they were also tested. This is still Deuteronomy 8 at verse 2. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. He brought them into that situation to show them their own limitations. To show them how sinful they were. To show them how unable they were to do anything to extricate themselves from the many trials and afflictions that came their way in the wilderness journey. And isn't that still true in the experience of those 
whom the Lord calls to himself. He brings them into a wilderness experience to prove to them how inadequate they themselves are without his grace. They are humbled so that they come day by day in prayer, begging for grace, begging for mercy, begging for strength, begging for spiritual food, begging for everything because nothing in their hands can they bring. And also, not only does he still humble us, but he tests us. He shows us the amount of dross that we have in our lives, the impurities of our hearts. He shows us there are so many things in our secret lives that are of no consequence, that are really offensive to the Lord. When the word of God shines into our heart, he shows us how impure we are. When he shows us our motives, we see how far they are from being just and noble. He proves to us that we are sinners day by day by day. We are in a wilderness situation. But then he goes on. And chapter 8 in Deuteronomy at verse 15, he brings something else before us. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. Not only is he dealing with us in the inner man, humbling us, and showing us how inadequate and sinful we are. But we are surrounded by various dangers. Like they were surrounded by fiery serpents and scorpions, physically, in the wilderness journey, as they journeyed on the way to the land of Canaan. There are still fiery serpents. Satan is still a serpent, and he will come, and his intention is to sting you with the sting of death. And there are scorpions of various kinds. You may stand on one. Somewhere you go and something happens and you are wounded and you are poisoned. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Sin has been able to enter into your life because of associations. And we see this is what happens in the wilderness. And Solomon is asking, who is that coming up from the wilderness? Who is that? He says it also in chapter 6, and I think it's verse 3. No, I'm sorry, not verse 3. Uh, chapter 3, I think it's verse 6, I'm sorry. She, what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of the merchant. What is that, he says? It's as if he has another angle on the people of God coming up from the wilderness, surrounded by these dangers and humbled in themselves. Nevertheless, there is a fragrance of them, the fragrance of heaven, because they have been made fragrant with the powders of the merchant. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit is with them, giving them grace in the face of every situation. And they are witnesses for God in the wilderness journey. Isn't that still the case? That the people of God in the midst of the wilderness experiences that I've just described, they nevertheless are fragrant with the fragrance of heaven. And when you draw near them and associate with them, you'll know what I'm talking about. They are a people heading for glory. So that's the first thing I want to do to mention. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? The church in that place of difficulty. Secondly, the heading or the direction of her travel. It says here that she is coming up from the wilderness. She's coming up. The Lord has brought her into the wilderness to humble her, to prove her, and so on. But as with Israel of old, that's not the Lord's final intention for his people. His final plan is to have them brought through the wilderness and at last into glory. He had promised Abraham long before this that his people would inherit the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe that's a picture of the glory into which the people of God are taking at last. Having passed through this wilderness journey, they will be received into glory. And that's why her direction of travel is so significant. It says here, that she is coming up from the wilderness. She is not happy with the best that this world can offer. Oh, there are many people who are happy with that. They are happy if their bank balance is healthy. They are happy if they have a lovely home and a roof over their head. They are ultimately happy when they have a family around them and everybody's well, and that means the whole world to them, nothing else really matters. And all these are blessings. But those whom the Lord blesses, they aren't really totally, completely satisfied with these things of time and sense. They are seeking something better. And that's why her direction of travel is coming up from the wilderness. She has her thoughts and affections set upon the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. She has tasted that the Lord is gracious. She has tasted of fellowship with him in a day of grace, and that has given her an appetite for the glory that God promises because he gives grace and glory and will withhold no good from them who live uprightly. She's coming up from the wilderness. And 
number of things I'd like to highlight here. She has been called with a heavenly calling. The Lord from heaven has come into her experience and he has given her a desire for better things. Even things that are good in this world, she wants something even better than that. She wants eternal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Two or three examples of people who are like the church here who are coming up from the wilderness. Remember the account we have of Abraham's call. It says in the book of Acts chapter 7 that the God of glory appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. And he told him to get out of where he was to a place that he would show him. And by faith, Abraham responded, went out of Ur of the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going. Bible says that. And you see, that is what the Lord does. He calls people to turn their back upon the lifestyle they've had, the priorities they may have had in their lives that may have been legal and honorable enough. Nevertheless, he asks people to turn their back upon these things and turn to himself. Oh, Abraham lived among idolatry in Ur of the Chaldees. And the Lord called him away from that. Think also of Saul of Tarshish. How dedicated Saul of Tarshish was trying to eliminate every Christian from the scene. He tried everything in his power to stifle the work of the gospel until one day on the road to Damascus and the light of God shone not only around him but I believe shone right into his heart and life and he fell and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He was resolved to turn his back upon the ways that he had been walking, confess his sin, forsake his sin, and give his life now to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think also of Lydia, the seller of purple, the account we have in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And she was there down at the riverside meeting with others for a prayer meeting. And it says that the Lord opened her heart, that she gave heed to the words spoken by Paul. And you see also in that same city of Philippi, the Philippian jailer, who was with all his might scourging Paul and Silas and then put them into the innermost prison and their feet fast in the stocks. But when the earthquake came that shook the prison, it actually reached his very heart and soul. And he leapt in asking to have a question answered. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and thou shalt be saved. The church here, she is coming up from the wilderness. The people of God have turned their back upon the things that have pleased their worldly appetites, the things that have pleased their rebellious nature, the things that have been embraced by them down through the years, things like carnality and sensual activities, worldliness of every kind, because they have now tasted something better and they have turned their back, just like the Thessalonians, when they heard the gospel, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven. Who is this that's coming up from the wilderness? I wonder what kind of gradient the wilderness journey presents to the people of God. I mean, if you're going up, surely there must be some kind of climbing involved and a gradient to be negotiated. Well, there are certain hills called difficulty, according to John Bunyan's pilgrim. He came to the hill difficulty. And there may be a difficulty in your own life this evening. I don't know what it is. And you wonder, how am I going to be able to put one foot forward and then another one to make my way, inching my way upwards? It's tough. Maybe it's some sin or other that refuses to let go of your mind and of your heart and life. Or maybe it's a hardness of heart that you just cannot cope with when you come under the sound of the gospel and the gospel seems to be bouncing right off your heart. It's not going through as it were, as it used to. You can't remember when you wept a tear under the sound of the preaching of the gospel. That's difficult for the people of God. Or it may be the gradient of unbelief. And the word of God says something and you feel you just cannot embrace it for yourself. But you still feel that you need to go on. There is no hope if you turn back. You need to go on, onwards, and upwards. One of the American preachers I heard some time ago is talking about the way preachers have to preach into the wind today. It's as if the wind of worldliness and the wind that's blowing throughout our society. It's so adverse to the things of God that we have to preach into the wind. And if you're going to preach into the wind, 
The wind is so strong that you have to shout as loud as you can. And that can be applied to the Christian witness. Ask the Lord to make your witness as clear and as consistent as it possibly can. Because our day and our age needs it. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. But the church is coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved. That's the third and last point. She is leaning upon her beloved. One of the commentators, James Durham, who wrote a commentary on the Song of Solomon, he goes at length talking about the way she leans, that it talks about what she's like herself, that she's weak. She's weak in herself, just like somebody who is ill and weakened by illness, weakened by circumstances. They're so thankful to have a shoulder to lean on, an arm to lean on, when they're going somewhere. They cannot make it on their own. And so the church is here. We cannot make it on our own. But she has discovered one who loves her. And she has tasted of his love. And she knows something of his peace. And she knows something of his blessedness. And she, like Peter says, when Jesus asked the disciples, when some were going away, will you also go away? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is the way she is. That she is coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved. Have you started leaning upon the arms of Christ yet? How else do you expect to be accepted with God except through faith in Jesus? That's really the meaning of the word leaning here. That she is exercising faith in Jesus Christ. That she is trusting him. He has said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And she has taken him at his word. And she has come and leaned upon these arms that are so graciously extended to those who are feeling their need. She has discovered him to be a mediator, a saviour. And you remember that the Catechism highlights for us that Jesus as mediator exercises the offices of prophet and priest and king. And those who are leaning on him as they come up from the wilderness, oh, they are so thankful that he as their prophet teaches them God's will for their salvation. By his word and by his spirit, they hear what he says and they're so thankful for the way he teaches them as their mediator, their prophet.
And what about that priest? Oh, surely she's leaning upon him as a priest who gave himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice in her room and in her stead. And now who is at the right hand of God making continual intercession for his people. What hope do we have apart from a saviour and a mediator like that? And then, of course, he is our king, isn't he? And she leans on his arm, just like Esther went in to King Ahasuerus, and he extended to her the royal scepter, meaning she was so accepted by him. And so it is with the people of God. Christ, as their king mediator, rules and defends them and subdues all his own and their enemies. What an amazing saviour he is. What a discovery that she has made, that she is there, leaning upon such a one who says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And she readily casts herself upon him. Oh, the wilderness and its drudgery and trials are eased so much when she speaks to us, when she, he speaks to us, a word in season. Sometimes we feel friendless, depending on our circumstances. But what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, let us carry everything to him in prayer. If you have questions, maybe you've asked other people and they can't help you with your question. What should I do in this situation? Should I go or should I not go? What am I supposed to say? And people sometimes are unable to help you however well-intentioned they might be. But we have him as our counsellor in heaven. And his word of counsel is always relevant. And ask him to show you what counsel he means for you to follow. Wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do you do with your hard-heartedness? I'm talking to Christians. What do you do when you feel your heart is so hard? Well, Jesus is the great physician, and you tell him about it. And he's able to give you advice. A word from him will soften your hard heart. And what if you feel that your feet are getting so tired and that the journey is too much for you and you have to go and tell them 
And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. What if you feel a little bit lost and needing guidance? Well, he's the good shepherd who leads his people every step of the way and you keep close to him. This is what the church here is doing. She's leaning upon her beloved. What about his promises regarding the end of the road? Regarding the end of the wilderness experience? What does he say? Well, he said to the disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. What an amazing promise that is. I am going to prepare a place in heaven for you. And I will not leave you, but I will come again and take you out of your wilderness experience. What an amazing Savior he is. And he has said to the disciples, I, to the Father in the presence of the disciples, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Talk about a transition from difficulty and trial in the wilderness to victory and glory at last. And that is true regarding every single one of God's people whom he has effectually called, who has, he has justified them, he will sanctify them wholly, and at last he will glorify them and take them to where the sun shall no more go down, neither shall the moon withdraw itself. The Lord will be the glory in Emmanuel's land. So these three points then. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The wilderness, difficult as it is, is a wilderness through which all of God's people will successfully pass because they are leaning upon the beloved who has from all eternity purposed that they be with him in glory forever. Let us pray. Help us, Lord, to take to heart the promises of your word and may they be words that will Encourage and strengthen us in our most holy faith. We pray for your blessing upon all that we have sought to do in your name this evening, that you would bless us as we once again have met in the house of God. Bless, O Lord, the singing of your praise in conclusion. 
and forgive our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll bring our worship to our close at this time, singing from Psalm 17 in a Scottish sort of. Psalm 17 in the Scottish Psalter and verses 5 to 9. Hold up my goings, Lord, me guide in those thy paths divine, so that my footsteps may not slide out of those ways of thine. I call it have on thee, O God, because thou wilt not me hear. Thou mayest hearken to my speech, to me incline thine ear. Thy wondrous loving kindness show Thou that by thy right hand saves them that trust in thee from those that up against them stand, as the apple of the eye may keep, in thy wings shade me close from lewd oppressors, compassing me round as deadly foes. Psalm 17, verses 5 to 9, to God's praise. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
rest upon and abide with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.